There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you? Okay, so we're doing this series still called Constipation. No, crap, sorry. Uh, Conspiracy. Yeah. And we watched this movie, This Old Dog, which I have totally watched and researched and have all sorts of stuff to talk about. Why would you think I don't? So, um, this movie, it's about... Oh, hey, did you guys know that Bumpy is actually a Serbian national? And he's... Wait, wait, wait. He, he's in this country to foment rebellion against... Sorry, among America's dairy farmers? No, right? It's true. I saw it on OAN. Uh, Serbia is uh, trying to take over the international cheddar market... And I think that's the issue we need to discuss, not some silly movie about dogs. Yeah, no one is buying any of this, are they? I'll take two! <laughs> Seriously, we'll, okay, fine, we'll talk about 1997's Barry Levinson movie, Wag the Dog, a completely fictional conspiracy movie. <laughs> At least I'm pretty sure it's fictional. Probably. Probably. I'm your host, Senator Max Levine of the great state of East Dakota. And over there is your other host, former Soviet 35-star general Mike Lusky. <laughs> Tell them all about your plot to control world bathroom grout prices, comrade. You will not understand the triple <laughs> prices of grout and grout. Also to the blah, blah, blah. No, we're not doing that we're, either. There's no dogs in this movie. <laughs> but if there is in the title, so sure. Uh, didn't watch it, did you? Uh, <clears throat> anyway, poll question. <laughs> ah. Much more important. Poll question. Here we are from last week. Is there a movie you think is really good, except for that one critical, important, miscast role? Tyler Stewart tells us John Carter of Mars. Apparently he didn't like Mr. Carter. I thought he didn't like Mars. Nah. I just did not like the eponymous character. Ooh, look at Mr. <laughs> Big Word. Now, be nice. Right. We like their answers. Yes, we do. Just show off. <laughs> That's like more than a two syllables. Hey, I only know that that's what that word means because they might be giant. No, no. Hmm? REM had an oh. album called Eponymous. Oh. What does that mean? I it thought means the name of the thing is the same as the name of the thing. I used to think it was one of those big animals lived in rivers, you know, big jaws. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's uh, terrible. <laughs> uh, part of that was a number of bad choices by the scriptwriter. Oh, yeah. But the actor was a dud. Yeah, you are not wrong. Adam Mark says, My Best Friend's Wedding. I hope he means the movie, otherwise his best friend's going to be very upset. Julia Roberts was too big a name to be plunked down into what was supposed to be a good ensemble comedy. In my view, she's the villain, but gets the heroes gets a hero's edit. That's interesting. Huh. She's just too big a name and too big of hair. <laughs> also true to fit into that cast. It's not supposed to be pretty women, and yet her presence... Cannot help but make it all about her. Huh. Huh. That's interesting. Cool, thank you. Yeah. Nick Hoffman says Dracula. The, co- the Coppola version. Oh. You mean Bram Stoker's Dracula. Whoa. I was ex- seriously excited to t- see someone do a fairly authentic uh, st- version of the story. Okay. Winona huh. Ryder and Keanu just ruined it. Huh. Keanu I would have thought of. I hadn't thought about Winona. Yeah. I get, yeah. No, no. Yeah. I, from Dave, our, our resident intellectual, 
He, of course, is raising the level of discourse here. Oh. Obviously, Shemp was a mistake. <laughs> Curly, a genius. I would hate to call Shemp the biggest casting mistake of the 20th century, but it's a possibility. Except it may be that Curly replaced Shemp after the Stooges had achieved success. That is, in fact, what happened. Shemp was there first. Oh, parents, don't let your children Shemp. <laughs> Ultimately, if the script is good enough, the cast is unlikely to ruin it. Ooh, I don't know if I agree with that, but mm, that's an interesting yeah. point. Mm, thank you, And Dave. a good point about Shemp. Benjamin Carl says, Richard Harris in Gladiator. Oh, wow. One of the major actors in there. Yeah. He's a brilliant actor, but too theatrical, huh. alongside a cast of others acting for film. Huh. Like Oliver Platt? Ooh. Or Oliver... Was it, no, it was an Oliver Platt. I it was an Oliver. don't remember. This makes it uh, quite distracting anytime he's on screen. Mm. Okay. Brad Pitt runs into a similar problem in Troy, where he's unduly beautiful, son of a god <laughs> or not, and plays past his castmates to the camera alone. Oh. That is when he's not sighting down his short sword like it's a rifle. Yeah, okay. I'll give you that one. You don't aim a sword? Uh, not that way, no. Oh. Valerie, I share some DNA with one of the host's coons. <sighs> says, you mean besides Kevin Costner in just about every movie he's ever been in? <laughs> I did like him in No Way Out, but that's about it. Uh, this is just, this is one of those questions that I know I've groaned at more than one awful casting choice, but they're not coming to me at the moment. I might get roasted for this one, and I do still enjoy the movie, but I've always thought Bing Crosby in White Christmas was a bad choice. Wow, you're going, you're going out there on a limb there, Val. I don't know the movie well enough, but uh, I wonder who you'd pick. I know he was in Holiday Inn. I know he was a big singer at the time and all, but he was so much older than Rosemary Clooney, 25 years. Oh. And their kiss in the bar was the most awkward, clumsy kiss I've ever seen. I cringe every time I see it. Okay, that's fair. Gary, get me the belt. <laughs> oh, ouch. Yeah. From up way up north, Darren, where the snows blow year-round, Vince, or Snowy, <laughs> as he is never called by <laughs> anyone, nope. right, Keanu, Miss, we have another one here for Dracula, Keanu Reeves was so miscast in Bram Stoker's Dracula, extra bumpy bucks for using the pearl title, he just ruins the little bit of fun I could take from that film. In a similar vampire vein, I see what you did there, the <laughs> film version of Interview with the Vampire, Brad Pitt is just awful. Mm. The whole movie is miscast except for Kirsten Dunst, who is amazing. But Pitt is usually better and seems a good fit when he was cast. The TV series so far is awesome, by the way. Interesting. Okay, huh. well, uh, Mike, what about you? Who's your What miscasting ruins a otherwise good movie for you? I mean, the main reason I asked that question was because last week's film, Jif, yeah. <laughs> uh, I just really thought that Kevin Costner was not the person to put in that mm. role, especially when Gary Oldman is right there. Now, that being said, Kevin Costner would have made a terrible, I'm sorry, he would have made a terrible uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, yeah. but yeah. I would rather have seen Gary Oldman in that role. Mm. Um there's probably other things that come to mind, but that particular film was what got me to think about the question in the first place. Mm. So I'll just stick with Kevin Costner. And Fair enough. And like like Val, kind of in a lot of things. I just think he's dull. Mm. <laughs> How yeah. about you? This was uh, your question. No, it wasn't. No, it was, it was mine. your question. <laughs> I just read it. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'd have to say Ted Neely in Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> 
Sorry, I mean the nasty Christ. Yeah, the, the whiny Christ. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that one of you understands. <laughs> yeah, emo Christ, except more annoying. Yeah, just I liked a lot of the other people in there. Just he bothers me. Yeah, I can understand that. Also, I don't know him from anything. <laughs> I don't know him from anything else. So yeah. Hmm. So uh, that was great. We love your answers. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much Very cool. But um, Very well what are they out. answering next week? Next week. What low-budget or small-scale movie do you think would have been absolutely ruined if it had been given a blockbuster budget? Oh. Hmm. Yeah. And we'll tell you how to answer that question after, after the show. But plan, or will we? Plan 9 comes to mind. <laughs> oh, I would have loved to see Plan 9 with like a $60 million budget. I know. <laughs> would no, have been sh- hilarious. <laughs> no. What would Ed would have like spent... $50,000 in the movie and just took the rest of the money home. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Now but, we uh, come to trivia. The facts. Budget $15 million. Oh, 15? 15, one oh. five. There's, hmm. a, uh, there's a reason for that, uh, partly. Uh, both Dustin Hoffman and Robert De Niro took no upfront money. Oh. They just got points. Oh, and yeah. did that work out? Well, the global take was $64 million. So that's probably technically a success. If, depending how many points they got. Yeah, I don't know. But if it's Dustin Hoffman and it's Robert De Niro, you give them what they damn well want. What's the point spread between De Niro and <laughs> Well, it depends. If you go with the Greek script, sorry, that's something else. Um, it was nominated for two Oscars. Didn't win either. Oh. Best Actor for Dustin Hoffman and Ooh. Best Adapted Screenplay. Not for De Niro. Not for De Niro. He was Ooh. not nominated. Uh-oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he, you know, Beat seven kinds of hell out of Dustin after the ceremony. and You kind of want to, don't you? You kind of do. I don't know why. There's just something very punchable about Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> uh, this was adapted from the book American Hero by, this, by a guy who wrote the screenplay, Larry Beinhart. Oh. Who we all know from Larry Beinhart world. Um, <laughs> one of the other writers for this, a co-writer, is friggin' David Mamet. Oh. The Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, probably best known for Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Oh, that's the uh, closers. Uh, the Coffee is for closers. For closers. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, B, C. Always be closing. <clears throat> yeah. David friggin' Mamet wrote huh. a, a part of this. Huh. That whole why change horses midstream slogan. Oh my God. That was a campaign slogan for Abraham Lincoln <laughs> during the Civil War. Ah. Yeah. Well, that didn't work. Now, the, <laughs> the timing of this film's release is interesting and totally as unless you think about it carefully, arbitrary. But a year after the film, this film was released in 97. In 98, President Bill Clinton became involved in a sex scandal with Monica Lewinsky. I think the big scandal was, wait, somebody would want to do that with him? uh, Yeah, I'm sure nobody remembers that. It didn't get a lot of press. No, Um, no. Real-life events kind of mirrored the plot because... A lot of people, in August of 98, Clinton ordered the bombing of Al-Qaeda targets in the Middle East right after he testified and just before Lewinsky was set to testify about the scandal. And uh, later, in uh, December, his administration led a bombing raid in Iraq right before the U.S. House of Representatives was set to vote on his impeachment due to the Lewinsky scandal. Didn't help. Ah, so basically it was like, did you, Mr. President, engage in any kind of sexual Boom, activity? Look over there! <laughs> yeah, worked, many, though, a it? lot of political commentators and critics referenced this movie <laughs> using the term wag the dog to describe these events. 
the movie, the interest in the movie spiked around then. Is that now a euphemism for what they supposedly did together? No, well, no. <laughs> well, you want to go uh, wag the dog, if you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, the quote, a good plan today is better than a perfect plan tomorrow, that uh, Connie Breen, uh, De Niro says, that's a real quote from General George Patton. Ah. Yeah. Hmm. During the filming of this movie, Barry Levinson, the director, Dustin Hoffman, and De Niro had an impromptu, coincidental meeting at Washington, D.C. hotel with Bill Clinton. Uh And Clinton asked De Niro, so what's this movie about? (laughs) And De Niro looked at Levinson, hoping he'd answer, and Levinson looks over at Hoffman, hoping he'd answer, and Hoffman, realizing there was no one else to pass the buck, is quoted as saying, so I just started to tap dance. I can't even (laughs) remember what I said. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Awkward. Improvisers there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, The talk show number that we see at the very end of the film, 1-800-555-0199, is used in a lot of different movies uh, and TV shows. This number is actually, I did not know this, this number is reserved by the phone company to be used as a fake 800 number for the media. (laughs) They've set it aside. That's why you hear it so often. Oh, nice. Uh, the movie, this entire movie was filmed in 28 days. Wow. During a gap in the production of Levinson's other movie, Sphere. Sphere. Which we all remember. remember Sphere is not Balloon. Yeah, that was the famous <laughs> tag. Yeah, Sphere, which was supposed to be his big sci-fi hit. And I think, did you see it? Um, until you just mentioned it, I had never heard of it. I, I, I saw it, so there was one. <laughs> So you're the guy. I mean, I'm pretty much it. Sphere, huh? Yeah, hmm. Sphere. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a, a compelling title. Uh, Dustin Hoffman, who plays Stanley Moss. By the way, Stanley Moss's name is spelled M-O-T-S-S, but the T is silent. Uh, uh-huh. I don't know why that matters, <laughs> but it's in the script. Uh, based his mannerisms and his delivery both on his father and... Once he and once he, I found this out. I couldn't not see it on real life producer Robert Evans. Oh God! Yeah, that's the, the glasses. Uh, the Gil Evans divers watch yeah, guy. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by the way, if you ever see the uh, documentary, the kid stays in the picture. It's fascinating. Evans, Evans is a figure. He is just a legend in Hollywood. I don't know if he's any good, but I understand he likes Coca Cola. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, the meaning of the phrase wag the dog is, quote, when something of secondary importance improperly takes on the role of something of primary importance. And yes, it predates the movie. They didn't make it up, although a lot of people think they did. See, they should have called the movie that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that wouldn't have fit on the marquee. Well, Incredibly yeah. Strange Creatures Who Stop Living Became Mixed Up Zombies. That was a big you hit think because that, of its you title. You think that fit anybody put the whole title on a marquee? I don't think it was ever on a marquee at all. True, true. <laughs> Uh, the fictional special operations unit created in the movie is called the 303, the Fighting 303. The, this, is, well, this is a little obscure. David Mamet had a TV series called The Unit, and that was the cover, de- that was the designation for the group, the, 303, the 303rd Logistical Studies Group from that show. I see. Also, 303 is an old rifle caliber. I see. The Lee Enfield 303 rifle. I see. Yes. Mm. And last thing, when uh, Wag the Dog was being filmed, the StarTac cell phone had just come on the market. This is the first time it's ever used on camera. 
And it was used all through the 90s. The StarTac was one of the first real flip phones. It was an analog flip phone, and it was the design was based on the Star Trek communicator. I loved watching StarTac when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah, StarTac, the next generation, was good, too. But... Captain Crick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Uh, Mr. Spack? <coughs> uh, Mr. Spork? Mm-hmm. All those, those memories. But uh, there's other stuff, but that's most of the interesting stuff. Ooh. I hope there's a story. Ooh. And now the plot. It's two weeks before a presidential election and the incumbent has just been hit with a sex scandal involving a teenage girl. (gasps) How can his team fix this? That's the question put to Conrad Breen, a.k.a. Mr. Fix-It, played by Robert De Niro. Breen figures out what they need is a distraction. And what could be big enough to distract from a sex scandal? A war! But not a real war. Because if it was a big war, someone could get hurt. So Breen enlists the help of Ace Hollywood producer Stanley Moss, played by Dustin Hoffman, with the following proposition. Produce a phony war. The appearance of a war. A pageant, if you will, with (laughs) Albania. Why Albania? Why not? (laughs) Moss and his team of Hollywood hucksters leap into action, creating fake war footage, fake intelligence reports, fake spontaneous public gestures, and even a fake war hero. Though unexpected events complicate things, Moss remains undaunted and pulls off the production of his career, catapulting the president's approval ratings into record numbers. Moss is able to handle everything, except in the end, his own colossal ego. The film. Good thing they picked Dustin Hoffman for that, huh? Yeah, yeah, talk about it. Well, yeah, it was obviously a real stretch to play an egomaniac for him. Yeah, well, to be fair, I don't... The only thing I really know about Dustin Hoffman as a person person is that he is one of those method actors yeah. taken to an extreme, Yeah. Um, and that he's very serious about his craft. I honestly know nothing about him as a person. No, he's also... He's very talented, although he does tend to rely on some gimmicks a lot of the time. Such as? Tootsie, he relies uh, on being in drag. Rain Man, he relies on, uh, on being... And being autistic, uh, Midnight Cowboy, he relies a lot on Ratso Rizzo's physical disabilities. Yeah, The Graduate, he relies on being young. Yeah, oh. yeah, it's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> that doesn't work. Mm. Yeah. In Mr. Magorium's Magical oh, Emporium. God, no! <laughs> Let's go back to Sphere! <laughs> Sphere, you know, it's a movie yeah, I never got around to, if you know yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> So, uh, one thing, too, before we forget, uh, in case you're wondering what's going on, Max and I are for one of those rare occurrences Mm. in the same room. Yes, we are. So if we sound a little strange, it's because we're in the same same room. room. Yeah. Oh, oh, one thing I I did want to point out, one of the other characters, Winifred Ames, played by Anne Heche. Sorry, I was doing the space saucer language she used to speak in. Uh, That character was originally written to be a man. I'm really glad it wasn't, because mm-hmm. one of my notes was I was glad to see that there are actually women on the staff of mm-hmm. the Movers and Shakers. Oh, yeah. And she, they're a little dismissive of her, but not a lot dismissive, which, you know, I'm, I, a one well, point for the team. But she's actually obviously really capable and smart. Yeah, but she's also clearly lower down the command chain. That's why she isn't always, they don't always pay attention to her. And she does, I like her performance as that just sort of... She's right there. <laughs> yeah. Right. You just feel she is wound so tight that she yeah. could just... Ex- and she does sort of go off on them briefly, 
But even that just is that that passes over. She's so tight that pardon my French, well, you know where we're yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. No, she, I like that she was portrayed as very. To be fair, everybody is a rung below De Niro's character. Yeah. Everybody, even Did, Dustin Hoffman. Is that there's points where he's like, you know, oh, I don't know, I can take care of this, or the, uh, but you don't see what's coming. You yeah, can yeah. take care of the problem once it shows up, but De Niro knows what's coming. The thing, yeah, De Niro's character, I, I'm sorry he didn't get nominated. I understand why, because his performance, especially for Robert De Niro, is incredibly subdued. Yeah. It's very calm. He's got this sort of likable, like, oh, I'm just some guy, with this quiet undertone of, I could wipe out your entire family and no one would ever know. Just want you to keep that in mind. Quite honestly, the way that he appears on talk shows. <laughs> a little bit. Well, there it's more like, you know, I could rip your entire family's heads off in front of you. This guy is just someone who you know could make you disappear. Yeah. Yeah. Conrad is frightening. And he's not supposed he, he comes across as very jovial and very, you know, amiable, never loses his temper, never raises his voice. That makes him the scariest guy in this movie. Yeah, and uh, get this out of the way. This film is ostensibly mm. a comedy. It's a black comedy, but... It is very dark in places. Yeah. Um, and the places where it is darkest is when it's, let's see how to put this best, most realistic. Yeah. Where you can get to really behind the idea of it being... A, a, a possibility. Mm. It's a possibility. Yeah, this one. Wow. <laughs> now, now I have, excuse me, we're going to be putting this on pause while I beat Mike savagely with a bag of oranges. What else is new? Yeah. <laughs> but we do have a couple of surprise peoples in here. They're, uh, they're listing the credits and so-and-so and so-and-so, yeah. and Willie Nelson has the beaver. Yeah, Willie Nelson is in this playing, I think his name's John. Uh, it's Willie Nelson. It's, he's playing <laughs> Willie Nelson. And I got to say, he's really fun. You can tell now. Willie Nelson has a, a reputation for um, he having so a bit of the weedy. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> and you get the impression that the character he's playing smokes a lot of the weedy. Well, he, he's more. They make a thing more of a. Uh, well, I was just going to go get drunk. That's yeah, an actual but, line. Yeah, but, but yeah, I'm sure. Um, and there's there's some songs that he I guess writes. Yeah. I honestly don't know who wrote them. Um, there's two in particular. There's one that is not one they'd plan to use for any of the campaigns, and it is hilarious. Oh. And there's another one that is ends up being the We Are the World song, which is really what it is. And it is... Oh, ju- he didn't write that. Do you he know didn't? who wrote that? No. Huey Lewis. <laughs> Huey Lewis wrote a bunch of the songs in this movie. Okay. Yeah. At the final song over the title credits, there yeah. is a song, Wag the Dog. Did you recognize the, who, the voice? No. Oh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. he did the whole soundtrack. It's Mark Knopfler. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, <laughs> now, and here's a part, in a couple of points I thought that the, the soundtrack was like, I don't know if this is appropriate, but it's Mark Knopfler. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, he's really cool, but yeah, there's a couple of points where Willie mm. Nelson's character, Willie Nelson actually is obviously having a decent time. Mm. They don't ask him to act too much, no. which is good, because let's face it, Willie Nelson's he's not, not an actor. actor. Yeah. Um, but he's fun. His little impromptu song, I was dying. Mm. I can't remember any of the lines from it, but he's trying to write this song about Albania, and he's like, Albania, Albania, Albania. oh, and then that rhymes, we'll we'll stick with that. It's like, he he objects to the plan, because Albania is really hard to rhyme. (laughs) Well, and they only pick Albania because nobody knows anything about it, right? I I like the thing where they say, like, you know, Jim Belushi, he's Albanian, and I looked this up, yes, he is. Is he really? The Belushi family, both Jim and John, their parents were Albanian immigrants. Okay. 
And they have him speaking Albanian at one point to the Albanian quote-unquote terrorists. Because quite honestly, that's the only reason I can see for bringing Jim Belushi oh, that was anything. Because I mean, when yeah. you want a quality endorsement, <laughs> you got a Jim Belushi. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. You, you go to John's brother, Belushi. Yeah, so I, the acting in this film is all mm. ranging from very solid to, in some cases, I'd say inspired. Mm. I think that, you know, De Niro... It rarely does badly. I have seen some bad De Niro performances. Um, mm. What was it? Star Stardust. Stardust. Where's Captain Shakespeare? You're yeah. like, oh, you've never met a gay person, yeah. have you? Yeah. Okay. It turns out, oh, yes, he has. His dad's gay. Oh, okay. Was gay, yeah. Mm. Um, but De Niro, he always will give you a certain level of quality. I want to say I don't think this is Dustin Hoffman's best role ever. I think he does really well. He does a good job. It's not his best, but this... It's a it, his role is much more the comic role. He's yeah. much he's supposed to be funny, and, and he, he is. is. Yeah, he's very funny, and he's very Robert Evans. I'm just yeah. Well, I'll have to see that movie it, sometime. Yeah, yeah. Um, we uh, have some sort of. I thought that we had some very distinct echoes in this film back to a film that was earlier in this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, see our entire episode on Capricorn One. Yeah, which was all about the idea of yeah. staging something Maybe. totally fake, and uh, of course that didn't happen. No. Um, we'll get to the, the talking questions this, in a bit. This, but. to me, also is reminiscent of a historical event, or at least a historical myth, and that's the Spanish-American War. Oh, right. Yeah. There is a famous myth, by the way, this is not, This most historians agree this is not true, Oh, that William Randolph Hearst is sort of credited with whipping up the Spanish-American War. He didn't. He <laughs> did whip up public opinion against Spain, and in favor of the war, because there's that famous quote that probably did happen when he sent his photographer down to take pictures. The guy's saying, Mr. Hurst, there's no war here. He said, you furnish the pictures, I'll provide the war. Yeah. Well, and they think that they even determined that the explosion was accidental. Like, there was never any evidence that it was actually any kind of terrorist or yeah. anything. Yeah. I haven't looked at that into it. I remember seeing something about it. Mm, so. Sure. Um, I also have to say, uh, if you're going to do anything in this film, you're going to vote for Coach because that's who plays the. <laughs> yeah, other yeah. Candidate. Craig T. Nelson, uncredited, it plays the uh, the the guy running against the president. Who, by the way, not only do we never see his face, yeah, he doesn't get a name. He's yeah. just the, in the credits. In fact, he is president, not the president, president. And they do this on purpose, yeah. and my guess is that one of two things: either it's so that it can relate to any president. I think that's the idea, or so you don't have to worry about anybody suing anybody about it making yeah. supposedly, you know, a particular president. I personally found that make made the movie a bit weaker. I liked it. I liked the fact that you could plug it because you could plug just about any president in there. Yeah, but to me now we have we don't even have a character. Mm. We have literally the back of a head, which But he's not the focus. That part of the I, part of the 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 sort of message here is the president doesn't matter. The president is an image. The president in effect is a pageant himself. He's a product. And they're figuring out the best way to advertise him. And who he is doesn't matter. I suppose that I can see that. I think my feeling, though, is that you don't have you don't have to worry about them dealing with somebody that's hard to work with or easy to work with. Mm-hmm. We don't see that aspect. All we have to deal with the fact is that he uh, had sex with Well, a he did something inappropriate with a teenager, yeah. Well, it suggested he had sex with her. Yeah. Um, 
thought it was made inappropriate. Yeah, something inappropriate because it was only like two they or three minutes. Sexual conduct. Yeah, but it yeah, seemed to with a firefly girl. You know, which not a campfire girl, a firefly girl. <laughs> I'm Rita Moreno. Yeah. No, you're not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was not Rita. I didn't know who Rita Moreno was. Oh. I always thought it was the the girl at the end. It's like, really, that's a deep voice for a young girl. <laughs> but okay, sure. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I thought not having an actual president made it a little weaker. It's not about him, but mm. because they may go out of their way to not show him, I'm like, eh. Okay. I can see but, that, but degree to disagree there. Yeah. I One of the things I really like, look, there were just these little touches, like when Breen wants to demonstrate to Moss, and because Moss, he's explaining this, you want me to, and he says, you want me to produce your war? Yeah. And he's trying to explain that this is serious, and he actually does have this level of access and the way he does it is they're watching the press secretary give a briefing, and Breen De Niro opens his phone and says, what do you want him to say? And uh, Moss looks at him and goes, well, all right, says, uh, our thoughts and prayers are with the president. And he says something into the phone, and the secretary parrots it. Yeah. And, that, and Hoffman just looks at him and like, okay. This just got real. Yeah, I just wish there had been somebody on the team, the Movers and Shakers mm-hmm. team, that when they brought up the idea of the war, just would step forward and actually say, Don't have a war! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that was hoping for too much. <laughs> if only we had had the voice yeah. of Yoko Ono. If Onoda. only. <laughs> it is something, and it's, it's, utter, it's both depressing and utterly believable. No one at any point who is working on this fake war ever says, do you think we're doing something wrong? No. Nobody. It doesn't even occur to them. I think that very much paints the characters in the light we're meant to see them, which is... And here's the scary part. De Niro is brought in as a consultant of sorts. He has no rank. As far as we can tell, he has no political position but they call him, and once he's called in, he pulls the strings for he, everything. He, no one says no to him. No. He, and there's a running sort of gag where people keep saying, Connie, what is it exactly you do for the president? And he never answers. He no. doesn't, he doesn't like lie, he just ignores the question every time. Yeah. But mm. I would say that the things that he comes up with in the in the movie mm-hmm. to do. If not directly are echoed in real life, mm-hmm. they sure feel like oh, they kind of were. There's one in particular that this felt like, and it was actually way earlier than mm. this film. Did this remind you of, of what they're trying to do, remind you of any particular present in any particular situation? Well, I was thinking of uh, Bush and uh, the, the uh, first Iraq war. Earlier than that. So, I was thinking of uh, Carter and Reagan. Because Carter, admittedly, was not a great president. And mm-hmm. some people would say he was a, a, a mediocre to bad president. But during his tenure, we got the whole Iran hostages thing. Yeah. And if you remember, at least that I re- this is the way I remember it, is that Reagan, one of the things he was talking about was getting our boys home. And right after he was elected, they were. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of feels like this. Like we, well, in this oh. case, they're, bringing, they're making a war here. We have to bring, what the hell was the kid's name? Uh-oh. Uh, old the, shoe. In the movie? Oh, yeah. Schumann. Old yeah. shoe. Yeah. yeah it's something Schumann. Willie Schumann. Willie Schumann, yeah. No. We're, I'm going to bring him home. If I'm reelected, I'm going to bring Willie Schumann home, mm. who at the time was, they didn't even know what he looked like. Yeah. They just like, we need to find was. somebody whose name has shoe in it. <laughs> yeah, basically, and it's, it, this is where some, one of the fun, the fun parts of this movie is things keep sort of slipping out of their control and then they readjust. Yeah. Like at one point, the CIA busts. 
uh, Connie and Winifred and says, there's no war. We know there's no war. You're making this up. And by sheer force of personality <laughs> and argument, Connie gets the CIA on his side. He's, oh, he gaslights them. He completely like, gaslights them. How do you know? Them. How do you know? No. How do you know? And over and over. <laughs> and, and the whole thing. And if there isn't a war, what good are you? Yeah. What good are you and your spy satellites? What good are you and your intel gathering? Because it's not going to be a two-ocean war anymore. It's going to be small group of people. And the, what, are the, what are you going to do if your intel is, is telling you this? And William H. Macy, who yeah. is the CIA, totally bamboozled. Although he then, apparently, the CIA makes a deal with the president's opponent, and they announce that the war is over. Yeah. It's not like we're announcing it's a fake war. It's like, no, no, it's it's real, but it's done. Yeah. And like, crap, it's too early, because they've got to keep this going until the election to distract from the sex scandal. But, of course, Moss, being the master producer, goes, okay, they left someone behind. There's a prisoner of war. There's Willie Schumann. We got to, uh, some guy, you know, old shoe. They come up with this whole thing. <laughs> well, they even, Willie Nelson writes and records a song with this old blues man that they then fake a record and put it in the <laughs> National Archives. Yep. They're like, hey, do you remember that song, Old Shoe? This reminds me of that. And now he, they have people throwing shoes up into trees. Yep. Like tying a yellow ribbon. They yes. work merchandising into yep. it. Yep. Um, uh, I love when they're brainstorming. Yeah. When the whole sequence, when Moss and his team, which includes you know, Susie Plaskin, who's who's fine, she's great. She was the tall woman, best known probably as Ambassador Kalar from Star Trek: The Next Generation. <laughs> okay, yeah, she'd done a lot of TV work, uh, along with the Fad King. That's his whole name, which is Dennis Leary. Yeah, De I gotta yeah. Real, jump in real quick. Yep. Dennis Leary, I think, is very underused as mm. an actor. Yeah. I like him in this. I really like him in the Thomas Crown Affair. Mm. And yeah, he's funny. He's a stand-up comedian at yeah. first. But I think he's actually an underrated actor. I think so. He has a real he has a lot of energy. He's not great at subtle, but he's really good at that manic kind of bouncing off the walls, barely leached energy. I disagree. Oh. I think his performance in Thomas Crown has actually got a mm. lot of layers to it. And okay. he's he's a, a cop. He's, he's been divorced. He's alone. Mm. And he's trying to do the best he can. He's about as white a knight as, mm. the, as New York is going to have at the time. See our episode on the Thomas Crown affair. By all means. Mm. Uh, no, I think, I think he actually has a lot of skill that okay. we don't get to see. The person I thought it was kind of underused in this was Andrea Martin. Who's she? She was the costume mistress. I need I need Schumann's neck size. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so they 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 basically they they come up with the whole campaign before they even come up with the yeah. guy. They get the guy's name. They don't know anything about him. They know he's in a U.S. special program. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> special. Yeah. Well, they finally you know they've got it all. They they're going to put him on a plane. They're going to fly him to Washington. Make a whole big thing of look. He's back. I did like the whole. They show him in a sweater that he's unraveled to form Morse code, which is based off of a prisoner of war, I think in the during the Korean War, who blinked, who was on TV doing that same sort of, you know, I renounce America and I, I'm a terrible person, but he blinked a message in Morse code through the camera. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. They get him on board and it turns out it wasn't U.S. special programs, it was U.S. special prisons. <laughs> and this guy is doing 12 years because he raped a nun. Yeah. 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 Among other horrible things. And you know all these horrible things, and he's on this terrible antipsychotic medication, and this guy... There is a James Thurber story that reminds me of that. 
I cannot remember the title, but basically it's this guy. He's supposed to be Charles Lindbergh or someone like him. Oh, yeah, there's a wonderful human well, being. Well, yeah, this was before Lindbergh. I think it was before it, but he like the first guy to fly around the world. And they want to do this, the president, and everyone's going to make him a big hero. And it turns out he's an absolutely horrible human being. He's racist, incredibly misogynistic, foul-mouthed, and they push him out a window. <laughs> So he wasn't a Nazi. No. So it wasn't exactly like. It wasn't Trump exactly Lindbergh. like Lindbergh. No, he was close. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there was some. I don't know if there was there was uh, some commentary in there, but and who, say, did, who did they get to play? Old Woody Jones? Harrelson, <laughs> who by the way does a really good job. If you ever saw Natural Born Killers, well, another Oliver Stone subtle masterpiece. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He's really good at playing that barely leashed madness that. You know, like, I seem like a nice guy, but I could eat you right now. Yeah, pava bean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he does a good job. He's he's almost over the edge, but not quite. And the uh, thing is, is that as soon as they bring, they, they show us that it's it's uh, Woody Harrelson, mm -hmm. and I'm like, one of my notes was, oh, there's going to be something wrong. And sure enough, he's on antipsychotics yeah. for a really good reason. Yeah. Um, and they they crash their plane. Uh, they're flying him back yeah. to bring old shoes so he can be brought back from Europe, ostensibly. Yeah. And they crash the plane because partially because he doesn't have enough cocoa pebbles or something. <laughs> and uh, they end up at this this gas station in the middle of nowhere. And he sees the gas station owner's daughter. And this I thought it was his wife. I don't know, but, but she looks sees, awfully young. He sees a woman. And attacks her, yeah. and the gas station owner kills him. Yeah, here's the thing. I have to, yeah. real quick, they use rape as humor. Yeah, that was I, really uncomfortable. That I didn't agree with. Yeah. You know, we don't see anything, but it doesn't matter because it's obviously, oh, look, isn't it funny he's going to go mm. rape this wood, huh? So I can't say I care much for that. Or Honestly, the, that whole sequence with the plane crash, I think is a weak point in the movie. It really slows everything down, and it goes off in a whole other direction. Yeah. I don't think it worked as well. I get why they did it, but I, I think that's a weak point in the movie. I also think that the plane crash itself looked very fake. Oh, it looked incredibly fake. I mean, th remember, this is a $15 million budget, most of which clearly went to the cast. Well, except you said it didn't. They got Well, points. not to those two, but mm. you still had a lot of... You had William H. Macy, you had David Mamet, I'm sure, had a, needed a yeah. chunk of change. Yeah, and it doesn't... Kirsten Dunst. It, yeah, well, she was sort of on her way to being Kirsten Yeah. Kirsten. She was literally like right between Interview of the Vampire and Spider Man. Yeah, probably. Um, so yeah. I don't think she's she's okay. worth dunced money yet. Is that, is that a dunced phrase? Money? Dunced money. It is now. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah, folks. Hollywood rape isn't funny. Don't mm, make it funny. Yeah, it, it can be tragic. It can be. You want to use it as a plot point? Okay. Don't don't use it. But as don't a even do line. that. Don't even make it such like it's a plot point. If it if you're doing a film that involves. Mm. The, what happens because of rape, the, okay, fine, but not just as a cute little fulcrum to base your plot on. That's, yeah, not, that's, that's not fun. Not that's cool. not good. Um, that being said, the film is funny. Mm. Um, it is, when, you, when they say dark comedy, I remember they used to talk about MASH, the original film MASH yeah. being a dark comedy. Oh, oh, oh no. MASH is a sitcom compared oh, yeah. to this. Ma MASH is a feel-good romp. Compared yeah. to this, this is more like Doctor Strangelove as a black comedy. Yeah, it's and it's partially because of the almost believability about it. And we'll get to yeah. whether that's effective yeah. or not. But this, just so you know, if you're somebody who's having trouble dealing with, you know, things in the news, 
and politics and mm. the world situation. Maybe wait on this. <laughs> yeah, this may this will if your mood is a bit dark because of that. This is not a movie to see to feel better. Yeah, Stanley Moss is such a fun character. I love the bit. He keeps wanting to compl- to talk to the president just because the president's annoying him. Yeah, there's a sequence where they are trying to stage. Uh, a refugee sequence where Kirsten Dunst is supposed to play a young Albanian woman carrying a kitten. <laughs> I don't know why the kitten. Not a dog. Through a war zone while flames are going off and explosions. And of course she said they're in a studio and it's in front of a green screen and eventually they can't find the cat they want so they decide she's going to carry a bag of Tostitos <laughs> as a placeholder and they will digitize in the cat and the president wants a white cat. Where there are, they're saying it should be a calico, and you know, he, as Stanley says, I hate when they try to get involved. I hate when they try to get involved. <laughs> well, and wasn't that one of the weirdest and most awkward bits of product placement? You yeah, I, like, I bet that Tostitos did not know what they were signing up for. <laughs> and that again is where you get that menace when you realize what you're dealing with with Connie, because Kirsten Dunn's character, the actress who's playing, it's like. But seriously, uh, is this going to be national? Can I put this on my resume? And you're like, no, no, you can never put this on your resume. And she just won't let that go because she's an actor and she wants the credit. But she said, well, why? I mean, why, why can't I? Because if you do, someone's going to come to your house and kill you. And you, he's saying it with a smile like he's joking, but his voice, you know, and she knows. You see it on her face. She knows he's not kidding. Well, and here's the weird part. This is the only part that to me is like, is this going to work? Is like, does she now have to stop being an actor because someone's going to recognize yes. her as being part of that footage? And also they show That's these they keep showing these commercials with the don't change horses yeah. in the mid-race thing, midstream the stream, whatever yeah. it is. And there's one point where this is this old couple, this mm-hmm. old woman is old man, and later on there's another bit of footage and there's an old Albanian woman, and I swear it's the same oh, woman. Oh, I didn't notice that. She looks, it should have been. put a scarf on her head, but I'm like, yeah. is nobody going to notice these people? I mm. mean, really? People see what they expect to see. I guess. It just seemed like it would yeah. be something that you would eventually dig up, you know? The people when, from over at the Washington Post or something would... I mean, Hoffman was involved with that, yeah. so... <laughs> true, true. As we all know, it was Hoffman who outed Nixon. In the, uh, or was it Redford? I can't yeah, remember. One of those two. Yeah. I also like... We see that while Stanley is... Uh, Moss is this kind of comic figure, we also do figure out he's good at what he does. Yeah. My favorite moment of that is when he's, he's written a speech, or they've written a speech for the president about... Uh, Sergeant Schumann, right? And the president doesn't want to do it. He says it's corny. Yeah. And Hoffman says, "Get me thirty secretaries. I'm going to read the speech for them." And we don't see him do it. But when they open the door, all of the women, all the secretaries are crying. Yeah. And one of them is kissing his hand, <laughs> and they're all com- and the look on both Connie. And, well, Connie is never shaken by anything. He's just sort of like, hmm. But Winifred is just like, huh? Yeah. And, of course, he then goes and reads it. And I think it's actually a strength that they don't do the speech. Yeah. Because it's one of those things that it couldn't live up it could to. Not your... be, it couldn't be as moving as it's supposed to be. I mean, this is supposed to be somewhere on, like, uh, nothing to fear but fear itself speech. Another thing is interesting is that in this film, uh, it's supposed to be Dustin Hoffman playing the producer. And yeah. one of the things he says is nobody knows what producers do. Yeah. do. They, no, nobody knows. Oh. But he ends up really more in a directorial role. To a degree, yeah. It's De Niro that's the producer. Yeah. And the idea of a producer, to the best of my knowledge, mm-hmm. if you're a good one, 
is you're the guy who finds the people who can and puts do them the together thing. and help, basically is this the the glue that holds it all together. By the way, he says something that is wrong in this. He says there's no there's never any Oscar for producing. That is not really true. When a mo- picture wins Best Picture, it yeah. is the producer who goes up and gets the Oscar. Sometimes amongst other Some, people. Sometimes yes. there's a bunch, but the producer gets... But it's true, there is no Best Producing Oscar. But, but that's why I think that Connie's... Co- Connie? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Connie? I, I don't know anyone named Conrad who will let themselves be called Connie, except if it's Robert De Niro, you could call him... Impeaches, and he would still be incredibly <laughs> intimidating. Even if you wanted a gravy pipe? Even if you wanted a gravy pipe, yep. <laughs> Abigail I, May. I think that he is a really good example of somebody where you really can't say exactly what he does, except he knows what the goal is, he's good at finding out what the goal is, and he's really good at finding the right person and to fill really, that role. he's really, really connected. He knows everybody, he knows what they can do, he knows how to use everyone. And he thinks... Really well on his feet. Yeah, very probably better on his feet than if you gave him time. Yeah, you get, yeah. He's not a planner. He's a he's the guy. That's why he's a fixer. He comes into something that's in the middle of happening, and can immediately adjust to it. Immediately adapt. The other okay. cool thing about his role is that it seems to me that all you really got to do is keep him happy, and he mm-hmm. doesn't even want that much. My no. guess is he takes a salary. Yeah, he takes. But for him, it's, and it's the Dustin Hoffman's character says the same thing. It's like, this is when I'm most alive, when I'm doing my job. And I think that's what De Niro is. Like, when I'm here, when there's a crisis, and I need to make mm. a war uh, mm. so that uh, this president gets off the hook for having yeah. slept with a 13-year-old, I can do this. I can get this done. It's going to be an ex- He never looks like he's sweating or running out of ideas. Nope. He's always got something, or he has the person that's going to come up with the idea next to him, and he just sort of sits back and like, he can do this. Yeah. Even when the CIA, in effect, arrest him and Winifred, she's freaking out, Yeah, and he never looks uncomfortable. It doesn't matter that there are armed men around him. It doesn't matter he's been pulled out of his car and put in a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> He he is, and they don't have Tostitos either. Yeah, and he, there is never any sense that there is anyone in charge except him. No. And I bet he's cheap. Like, I bet he says, yeah, give me a million bucks. And yeah. that's, or whatever. And he goes that's off. That's just what he does. And you don't have to ever worry about him talking, not only because he wouldn't, but because for him, there'd be no point. Mm. Like, all of it for him is so he gets to do this ridiculously high-level adrenaline mm. rushy sort of thing. Um so it's there's there's some depth I think in the characters that mm-hmm. really isn't on the page, which is why you hire somebody like De Niro. Yeah, a couple of other small points. I really like they make up the fictional unit for uh, old, that Schumann is a member of. Right, the three hundred three, which is good. Yeah, and they do things like okay, they have to have you know a beret, and they just you know because all the special forces have their own color beret. They decide to make it leopard print. Well, then you hear, what was his name? Yes, Dennis Rodman. Rodman. He says, we're going to get Dennis Rodman to dye his hair like a leopard. Which, which he did. He did. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's why. Well, I know. But the, yeah, I'm sitting there going, no member of the U.S. military would ever allow themselves to wear a friggin' leopard skin 
a, a beret. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. There's some questionable fashion uh, in the, um, um, armed forces. And they even they write a song. They write a yeah. ballad of the 303, which is in no way supposed to sound like the ballad of the Green Berets. <laughs> not even a little. You mean no good old Barry Sadler, yep, uh, Kafka the Eternal Sergeant Lord. Barry Sadler, <laughs> thank you very much. It's not often when you can grab drag uh, the Kafka the Eternal Warrior yep. or anything. Yeah. Just thinking of odd moments of humor, the way, with the fact that you know that yes, they do use rape as a kind of a, mm. a humorous point, but they also they use murder because uh, when uh, when the husband or father or whatever goes after Schumann with a shotgun, you know Dustin Hoffman's looking and you're like blam, he opens the door, looks at wait wait a minute, he's not dead, blam, strike that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes he is, okay. Yeah. And I will say that you get some impression that the other candidate coach yeah. is on the ball because he manages to move some pieces and cause some trouble yeah, for our he protagonist. Does. He's not, well, they are the protagonists. They're not heroes, but they are definitely the protagonists. First, his team ends the war with Albania, yeah. and then he's like, okay, produce this yeah, Willie where Schumann. Is Schumann. Where is he? He's where is he? Play. I don't see any yeah. Schumann. And of course, you know, I don't know that he knows what's exactly going on, but he has some hint. Mm. Which, in the way, is kind of sad because we as an audience get the idea, we'd rather have him. But, you know, that's the way it goes. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of uh, interesting little cameos in here that I liked. Um, at one point, when they're singing car- the song Courage Mom on uh, TV, yeah. that which was what uh, Schumann had in his sweater in Morse code, Courage Mom. Yeah. That's Merle Haggard. Oh, yeah, yeah. Singing. And he shows up at the end. Yeah, too. just briefly. And there is, this is a throwaway there's a guy playing a guy named Senator Note, he, and I only noticed it because he has this very distinctive voice and this very sort of, he sounds a little like Gregory Peck, a little <laughs> like Walter Cronkite. That is a guy named George Gaines, ah. who is probably best known for playing Commandant Lassard from the Police Academy movies. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, no, he was in Tootsie, too. Yes, he, he was. Dr. He Van was the Horn. doctor. He was the, right, he was the dopey right, doctor. Right, yep. right. <laughs> Goofy game, game for, for dopey, dopey doctors. doctors. Yep. Operation. Yeah, we uh, we have some talking points we should yes. probably get to in yeah. this film. So what is the conspiracy in this film? It's creating a distraction from a, from a sex scandal. It's creating a fictional war to uh, distract from a political uh, tra- disaster. See, I think it's a bigger than that. I think the conspiracy in this film is that politics, the country, are actually being run by just about anybody other than the people you see. That, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that's the whole idea of the shadow government. Right, except in this case it's Robert De Niro. Yes, <laughs> Robert De Niro and Hollywood. And by the way, there are a lot of people who think that, that like, oh, Hollywood runs the country. Or, <laughs> there are. I didn't say they were smart people. Things would be even bigger a mess if Hollywood was running the Seriously. government. And the, thing, the only thing that I don't have against De Niro's character running the government is he doesn't seem to have any agenda of his own. Mm. It seems to all be about, I got a problem to solve. Solve. He's, solve the he's a fixer. He's yeah. not. A, he's as you. It's interesting that ties in with what you said about him not being someone who say plans ahead. He doesn't have agendas because he is in the moment. He's yeah. like, I have something in front of me to deal with. That's what I do. Yeah. So I, the conspiracy, yeah, shadow government um, that we are constantly being bamboozled. Mm-hmm. We are, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and that it a lot of things that were come to seen as fact may in fact have been wholly fabri- fabricated out yeah. of um, you know illusionary cloth. Mm-hmm. 
Do we believe the conspiracy as depicted? Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is that's one of the things that's disturbing. If anything, this movie is too toned down. I yeah. think now I mean nowadays, I don't know how much harder it is because there's so much additional surveillance. Everyone else has cameras. You know, peep everyone in Albania would be live tweeting, no war here. Yeah. Lol. Uh, but yeah, this absolutely is believable that they can just fictionalize anything they want. And we'll, because, of course, there's a war. I saw it on TV. Well, and also, they talk about things that make you think and groan, like when the people were tying a yellow ribbon. Mm. Like, you know how much money we made on the ribbon? It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, you know, somebody probably Some did. Who that probably? Probably government. The government. Well, not just that. I mean, even after 9-11, and suddenly everyone was buying American flags, and everything with an American flag on it, people made a lot of money off of that. Yeah. Or... <laughs> <laughs> One of our favorite little um, oopsies, uh, Y2K, when people oh, were selling boy. survival kits and stuff. Uh, yeah, 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 that was the biggest nothing that ever happened. That was embarrassing. Well, that was it was a nothing because a whole lot of programmers worked like maniacs to fix it. Because a whole bunch of programmers really could not think ahead in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, nobody will ever need a computer past the year nineteen ninety nine. Need four digits for a year. <laughs> That's just silly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, the la I do actually have, uh, I don't know if it's a talking, I guess it's sure. a talking point, it's not a question, but mm -hmm. the movie has this aspect to it, to me, mm -hmm. that almost felt like it was taking a religion versus either science or atheism what? viewpoint. Really? So think of it this way. De Niro, Hoffman, and his crew are the high priests of this made-up religion, in this case, this presidency. Okay. And they are feeding what the their the populace what they want the populace to think and do the huh. rules they want them to follow and when people come in like coach Craig T. Nelson <laughs> and they start saying no look at this look at this they're trying to get you to pay attention to quote unquote facts and stuff that's shoved out of the way mm. and they're dealing with the emotional aspects like religions often do and they're they're working it in the same way that Religions, fake religions often do, dealing with fear, de dealing with emotional issues. So to me, there's kind of this interesting science versus emotion mm. content going on. It's an interesting idea. I would argue it's not necessarily religion. It's just about everything. Politics has been like that for a long time. They know people are not swayed by facts. They're swayed by their emotions. They're and aliens. And aliens. <laughs> well, yeah, and of course the orbital mind control lasers. Hey, are you using that tinfoil? No, here, you can have some Thanks. of that. Thanks. <laughs> sure. yeah. I feel safer now. Yeah, good, good. you got, you got to cover the occipital lobe especially. That's where they get you. Why do you know that word? It was on a website. It's him. It's him. Bring in the choppers. <laughs> I think that's true. I think it's on the one side you have basically the, the lords of illusion. Yeah. Which is not just religion. It's any form of power. Demon dogs. Yeah. <laughs> lords of illusion. Demon dogs. Eliolukla. <laughs> right. Thundar the Barbarian references. We have descended into Thundar the Barbarian. Well, we were talking anyway. politics, so where else could we go? What? <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's 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 the case of anyone in power, anyone who wants to hold on to power. They realize it's this is the whole thing of perception is reality, right? And this that's one of the things that's so damn disturbing about this movie is it's so convincing. Well, and I think that by appealing directly to emotional knee jerk reactions, mm -hmm. both 
in the area of fear and the area of patriotism, patriotism, um, even like the need to feel a part of something, but mm. also the need to feel positively towards something. Yeah. The song that they write, or as you pointed out, Huey Lewis wrote, <laughs> is unfortunately exactly the kind of thing that would work. Yeah, it, it's, it bears some uncomfortable resemblance to We Are the World, yeah, well, yeah. but it's just loaded with jingoistic, yeah. or hyper-patriotic language. They're literally singing parts from the Declaration of Independence yeah. or the Constitution. And it's all... It's all ostensibly marketing. Yeah. It's all marketing. It is all marketing. And that, that's where I got this sort of like religious aspect. I'm mm. not pointing my finger at an actual real religion. I might point my finger at other religions, you know, and <laughs> that, that also deal with fear and stuff like that. But it is a way of getting people to think the way you want by mm. appealing not to any kind of intellectual pursuit, but directly to uh, emotion. Mm. But uh, we're probably getting to that point. Yeah. By your subtle hand gestures. Subtle hand gestures of the drow, yep. <laughs> the finish. So, Max. Yes. Had you seen this film when it came out? I am, I've been trying to remember. I don't think I saw it in the theaters. Okay. Because I don't remember hearing much about it. I think I did, uh, or I didn't notice. But I remember renting it. Okay. I saw it on, uh, I, at that point, probably DVD. Mm. Yeah. 90 what? 97. I... Mm. Might have been VHS, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I saw it on a TV screen, okay? okay. <laughs> uh, Probably a CRT. And I've seen it a couple of times since, because it shows up on cable now and then. Mm. So, yeah, how about you? Have you seen it? I had, I'd, I'd heard of it, heard but I'd never, never seen, it. seen it. So what did, what did you think at the time? At, at the time, I felt very much like I do now, which is, this is uncomfortably believable. Yeah. I had no trouble be- Nowadays, the one thing I have a little trouble with, and it's just a computer nerd in me, when they are doing the rendering with Kirsten Dunst and the cat and yep. the background, in 1997, I don't think they could have done it that fast. No. They could have definitely done it, but not that quickly. They're just swapping things in and out, yep. and that would have taken a while even to, just to render on screen. But other than that, yeah, uh, I, always, I found this movie uh, both very funny and very frightening. Yeah, I can see that. I found it completely believable. Yeah. I would say the special effects, I did have a note about that. I was like, really? Yeah. Honestly, if they were have done anything, it wouldn't have been a bag of Tostitos. It would have been a, ba- a bag, like a bag of the same of... blue color of as a background. Yeah, or it would have been something softer, yeah. uh, like a bean bag or flour or something that uh, molds to the arm more. Yeah, but uh, and also they would have picked somebody that would never have acted again, I yeah. hope, because yeah. as soon as she does a part, like when That's she shows it. up in Spider-Man, isn't she Albanian? <laughs> I'm pretty sure she is Albanian. Well, they could have made a whole thing of, well, look, she came to this country and grew up to be an actor. <laughs> also, that was no kitten. No, that white that, that was, was a, a that was an adult cat. Yeah, oh, well. <laughs> very small hairs to split here. You know, cat hairs. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Now, you 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 had not seen it. No, this is the first time you've seen it. First seen it. Yeah. What'd you think? Uh, I was not sure what this film was about, mm-hmm. and when they they do the opening quote about the dog wagging the tail and the yeah. tail wagging. I was like, I honestly didn't know this was supposed to have any humorous aspect to it. I was like, is this supposed to be funny? It's one of those jokes and somebody tells you it's a, a joke and you're like, was that the joke? Yeah. Is it? I don't know. <laughs> and then very soon we suddenly understand what they're talking about. It's like, okay, yeah. I get it. All right. So the, the, this is the shadow people that are actually doing the... Um, I thought it was very well acted and like you said, I think it's very sadly believable. Um, it continues to erode 
any belief I might have in our government acting mm. the way it's supposed to. Um, it does make you question nearly anything you might read online, which you should. Yeah. And your one source for information, whatever that source is. Mm. Um, so, yeah, again, don't watch this if you're in kind of a bad frame of mind or you've been reading too much news. What did you think about the very end? Which part? Oh, the um, Dustman Hoffman yeah. has gone to a nice yeah, puppy is, farm in the north. This is a big spoiler, <laughs> but yeah, I always thought, I thought that, that was one of the more believable parts. Oh, yeah. Especially from the character, because at the end, it is finally sinking into Moss. He can never tell anyone. Yeah, his best job ever. The, the great, he says, this is the best thing, this is the greatest thing I've ever created. And he refuses. He's like, I'm going to, you know, I got to tell people. Well, he's about to call the 800 number. He's about to call the 800 number, and Connie takes the phone away from him, and doesn't say it, just looks over at one of the men in dark glasses and just sort of gives him this head gesture. Yeah. And we know that's the end of Dustin. He knows he, the Moss is going to get killed. And he ends up having a heart that, attack. That is the that is one of the... The, the uh, plane crash I thought was a weak point. I thought that final sequence was a weak point. I thought they should have stopped oh. with him being put in the car. I think they could have. I, because then they sh we actually see... Uh, a scene of like black limos outside Moss's house, and we hear a voiceover from the news saying that he died of a heart attack. We didn't need that. No, that I was spoon-fed. I think I was. I thought it was much more effective and much more menacing. That's just Connie, just with the gesture of his head, is saying, "Take him out and kill him." And they could could have shown him just being brought into the car and the yeah. car driving away. That would have been it. That would have been fine. Yeah, yeah I agree. Again, I totally again, agree. I it still works. About, I think yeah. it still works. But I see why this. Movie isn't considered a classic. No, there are well, flaws. Yeah, there are. I wouldn't. Yeah, it's, it's not classic. Per, it's not perfect. Excuse me, what I mean. But it was well worth watching, and thankfully <laughs> oh, it moves right along. It's yeah. like an hour and a half, so but, it's. But I do second what Mike says. If you're if you're not in a good place in your head right now, if the world political situation is making you sad, this isn't a movie that will make you feel better. This will make you feel much worse. Yeah, if you're in a bad place, Hoboken, I'm dying! Then maybe don't watch yeah. this film. But yeah. Uh, yeah, Robert De Niro, Dustin Hoffman, and a host of others, some yep. of which will surprise you. But yeah. what isn't surprising is the fact that we have another poll question yes, for we next do. week. Max, what is that poll question? Well, I would like you to consider what low-budget or small-scale movie do you think would have just been ruined if it had been given a blockbuster budget? And you can answer this question by going to our website at www.max... Okay, I know you don't actually have to type in the www. I'm showing my age. But maxmikemovies.com. You used to have to, by cracky. Max is 35. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, and leave a comment. You can also email us for extra bumpy bucks at us at maxmikemovies.com. You can find us on the mediated socialness. Still musk free. Yeah, he ain't barely. Uh, and that social media, what two accounts would be? Be Facebook or Twitter. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, at Max Mike Movies. Uh, we're still uh, waiting for your thoughts on whether we should join TikTok and no. perform interpretive dances <laughs> of each movie each week as our own dance challenge. Uh, when I say we, I mean Mike will be performing the interpretive dances. I have a cabbage in a thong. <laughs> If you want to see a cabbage in a thong, yes. write us and we'll get a TikTok account and we will do yep. cabbage dancing. Yes, we will. Cabbage dancing just for you. Well, at least it's not Morris dancing. Yeah. <laughs> However, we are not done with this series, which means we've got another conspiracy movie to watch next week. If it won't get you killed, Mike, tell us. Reveal. What movie are we going to watch next week? Zip. Oh, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, Bumpy. <laughs> it was you all along. <laughs>
Uh, yeah, so uh, we're running out of films here because we're running out of um, stuff. And uh, partially, I uh, uh, sometimes do this. I uh, forgot to look ahead and see which film I was going to pick, so I'm going to have to remember what I think is the film I was going to pick, which is not at all a conspiracy theory. It's just me having forgotten. Um, but... I would like to take some little extra time with this film. Mm. How much extra time you may ask? How how much extra time are you going to need? Oh, like, I'm going to need days. Ooh, how many days? Probably, I'd say three. Three, three days. Yeah, three days. I, what kind of days? Oh, they're going to be some really long days. I'm going to need yeah, a bird. A bird. Yeah. Three days of the parakeet. No, no. no. Uh, three days of the emu. Not even three days of the tit. No. I would like. <laughs> I would like to take three days of the condor. What I'm going ah, to do with them, I don't know. But three days of the condor. Yes, I'm sure it has plenty of days. It can. It can. Uh, That's right. It. That's starring that guy. Uh, what's his name? Redford Roberts, who had to overcome his his crippling hideousness. Yes, his, his terrible, terrible bad his, his awful, awful, ugly, <laughs> disgusting face. If you want to see a condor <laughs> in next week's film, do turn turn into uh, Max Mike but, movies, yep. and you can see three days with a condor. Yeah. <laughs> This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. <laughs>